Hello and welcome to the Fourth Host Cast. I'm Lorelai Weissel. I'm Chris Delano. And I'm Carrie Thomas. Carrie, welcome back. It's been forever since you've been on the show. I think I think you kind of did like an official retirement and uh and and are I guess are back now. I've retired multiple times. I'm multiple a multiple times. time retiree. And yeah. I also collect a pension from the cast. Um <laughs> I haven't actually kept up with any of the latest episodes but i did announce that i was coming back last week in the discord and i got a nice package in the mail from chris um it had a tooth in it and i actually had one of my back molars removed last week so uh well like a few months ago so i put it in once i received it last week it works like a charm i don't know Perfect. why you're mailing me teeth but thank you yeah. Well, thank you for agreeing to come back on the cast after you put that tooth in. It's just perfect. Yeah, I mean, I just feel compelled to. <laughs> uh, so this week we are covering our next batch of stories. This is uh, week three in both the main series and the side stories. And uh, do we, I don't really want to talk about this whole Walking Dead thing. Oh, absolutely. We're done. That's the last mention of it we'll have on the podcast. No, no, I want to milk this. We need some, <laughs> oh God, we need some Reddit karma. Um, the Walking Dead is a TV show that exists, and I didn't think it was still on the air until we saw cards from it last week, so that's my comment <laughs> on it. Oh, they did a spinoff at one point, I think. I think maybe that's not on the air anymore. I don't know. All right, when are, when are we doing Beyond the Multiverse, The Walking Dead? Uh, that's never happening because I edit those episodes and I have no desire to talk about The Walking Dead. I'm legitimately not sure that anybody on the cast watches the show. I I have never watched it. There we go. I, they, I, I like horror. Zombies are not the genre of horror I enjoy. Unless we're talking Shaun of the Dead, in which case I do like comedy. I I have seen the same episode of The Walking Dead about three times. You know, like when you go and like put on TV and you're like, oh, The Walking Dead is on and you watch it and it's a rerun of the same episode that you've already seen. Well, I've only seen that one episode and it's an episode where a friend of a friend of mine gets disemboweled. Nice. Yeah. <sighs> it was filmed in Georgia. So I actually know a lot of the people who are on the show. I just have never watched it. But I've watched the same guy get disemboweled like three times. Nice. Uh, yeah. Anyway, there's a secret layer with Walking Dead stuff. It's part of this promotion. They're black bordered, mechanically unique, big controversy. There was a weekly MTG about it, answering a whole bunch of questions. Just we're gonna link it. Just go watch the thing. I don't want to talk about it. I've stayed out of this entire conversation. Yeah, it's been really if refreshing. Any them, if any of the cards are too powerful for Legacy and like they need to be banned, don't worry. They'll ban Uro instead, so. <laughs> it, it's fine. You know, they, they talked about the controversy, but they didn't answer the hard question, <laughs> which is why Daryl is holding his crossbow backwards. <laughs> Please. <laughs> you can't torment me with my own jokes on the cast. There's no rules. We can do whatever we want. Yeah, this is what I get for trying to milk it, so. <laughs> um, we're just going to talk about Zendikar now, because Zendikar's sweet. Uh, and so we're going to start with our third main series story titled The Dangerous Climb, The Long Fall. And if you remember back to the Zendikar Rising trailer, which starred Nahiri and Akiri and Zareth and a uh, very angry lava boy, um, this this is the story where the events of the trailer happen. The, the, the trailer wasn't the entire story, but... Everything that happens in the trailer happens in the story. Um, so when we last left off, Nahiri and her crew of uh, Akiri, Zareth, Aura, and Kaza um, reached the Marasa Skyclave. They are they're in Sunder Bay, up in the Jati Trees, looking up at the Skyclave. And they, they make their ascent. Uh, Nahiri lithomancies her way up using rock steps and stuff and everyone else has to cry, climb like a scrub because they're regular people that can't turn stones into steps 
but you know we like them anyway <laughs> um they get up to the skyclave and so nahiri has this key this uh piece of ancient technology that's supposed to help find the lithoform core and the key is literally lighting a path through the skyclave it is uh, a trail to follow and uh you know that is i'm sure thankfully for nahiri much easier than the nightmare of losing the path in the first skyclave and having nissa of all people have to pick it up for her um and so they they keep everything at bay and are having a pretty reasonable time going through the skyclave you know things are going well as they always do on zendikar when you're adventuring in uh dangerous things uh except they come to a wall and the light just kind of like right into the wall and they don't know where to go (laughs) chris you wrote the summary right i I did in in our agenda yeah so this bullet point says oh no a wall kaza wants to blow it up this i think is sensible so uh, i mean it makes sense that that's a very easy way to get through a wall is just to get rid of it uh i don't know how much you know about industrial demolition but it's probably a lot more complicated than just blow up a wall what if it's a load-bearing wall it's not a load-bearing wall because everything on zendikar floats there are no loads to bear there could be lodestone golems on top of it and then they're playing vintage it'd be a mess that would be a problem though that's true because then kaza's explosion spell would cost one more so yeah that could be a problem uh, anyway, so instead of blowing up the wall, Nahiri's like, don't be silly. I'm ancient core. This wall is covered with writing that I can read, with magic that I can cast, and, you know, with, and, and all that, like, this is just one of the cities that she knows how to navigate. So she uses the key to unlock the wall. There's like a little slot right at the bottom, like, uh, putting a token in a Chuck E. Cheese game. I want to be clear, she puts her ear to the wall and, like, talks to it. Like, she literally speaks to the wall. Yeah, sometimes you just talk to rocks. It's whatever. It's magic. It's magical. Uh, but she does She does get the wall open, and in one of my favorite moments in the story, uh, she leaves Kaza and Aura hanging out outside of the door uh, because they weren't in the trailer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, they mostly exit the story at this point um they they are around but in the background uh because uh nahiri akiri and zareth go up to the lithoform engine and uh this makes sense though because like zareth is the person who's suspicious of the core and doesn't really want nahiri to have it and akiri is kind of stuck between hey well you know, I, I support Zareth, and I don't fully trust Nahiri, but Nahiri does also want to do good, and I want to do good, and I don't know what choices I should make. Except, when they get to the Lithoform engine, and this is when Nahiri's trust in Nahiri starts to falter, and she thinks, hey, maybe this is not a person we should entrust with this powerful artifact. We don't know what is happening you know the the seed of doubt sprouted last story when she saw the um the corruption the lithoform blight from uh when nahiri killed the stomper with the key is like hey this might be more bad than good and she starts to walk up to the lithoform engine to get the core uh and nahiri's like wait this is not safe i'll do it which you know, when when you've explored Zendikar enough, I think I think Akiri thinks that is pretty reasonable, and uh, there's a nice little tender moment with her and Zareth, because they like. I think the implication is that they're a couple, but I don't know if that's like explicit in their relationship. Because like later in the story, it says her love. Yeah, so. well, so you can yeah. love people and, and not be in a partnership with them. There is a lot of hand-holding in this story. Yeah. There's a lot of Akiri and Zareth holding hands and Akiri taking warmth from Zareth's presence. And I'm not saying they're together, but they're together. And as they a transbian who does a lot of hand-holding with people I love who I am also not dating, it seems reasonable that they're not together. But 
maybe they are. Maybe they would be if Zareth wasn't so sneaky. I don't know. The point is they care about each other a lot at some kind of core, haha, core intimate level. Um, I guess uh. merfolk intimate level for Zareth. Um, <laughs> I'm going to apologize. That was a terrible <laughs> That was very bad. Uh, uh, and I've just lost my place in the agenda. We were well, a load-bearing orb. <laughs> The, uh, the Pokeball has been retrieved by Nahiri it's at this point. It's not a Pokeball. It's like a dodecahedron. Jay told me it was a Pokeball. But there's a Pokeball in the one card art, but this is not a Pokeball. <laughs> well, uh, Nahiri takes the uh, the core, and everything's fine, and everything is good, and there are no traps. There are there are traps. There are lots of traps. The whole Skyclave starts to fall apart. The Royal, like, jumps up. The whole place is just going to fall to pieces. Uh, as they're running out, they see the ground underneath Kaza and Aura just fall, and watches like Akiri sees them fall to their deaths. Except Kaza has flying, so like she's fine. She surfs on her wizard staff. She does, which is just the cutest thing. Um, and then Aura just grabs onto Kaza because uh, Kaza has whenever she attacks target non-flying creature you control gains flying until end of turn. That's incorrect. That's definitely what happens in the story. I don't know what the cards show you. Well, yeah, because Aura, ha- Aura has a, a very special superpower called knowing how to hold on to things. I know a lot of people who don't have that superpower, so I'm very yeah. impressed. Th- this this is kind of at the point where the trailer really picks up the... Uh, where we f- fully shift over into trailer mode with uh, Akiri and Zareth and Nahiri... Uh, fleeing the Skyclave. There's a point where Nahiri falls and Akiri catches her and uh, Zareth runs ahead and they've got to like move all these hedrons to cross a chasm and this huge tornado appears and Nahiri flexes her lithoforming and uh, crushes that part of the royal. The The tornado scene I think is really important actually because um, Nahiri is confronted by this sort of like elemental wind situation. She describes it as hating her and like being angry at her, which I think is really interesting because of Nissa's connection to the elements of the plane as well. And so for me, I'm reading this and I'm thinking like, this is not just the elements hating Nahiri. This is the elements feeding off of Nissa's hate for Nahiri too. Uh, if you believe in the whole connection between Nyssa as an animist and the rest of Zendikar. And then she like tries to quell it and she stops it for a minute and she feels very confident and then she fails and then she falls and then she gets saved and it's fine. Yeah. Uh, and you know, they, they get out a reasonable distance from the Skyclave and it's fine. It's good. They're okay. Uh, and then they're not okay because the, core is still there and the royal summons this huge lava elemental and uh zareth is at this point like hey give me the lithoform core it's very dangerous and so there's like a small argument and then this lava elemental and nahiri pulls out her sword and holds up the lithoform core and is like hey i'm a pre-mending planeswalker this world is my world. I know what to do. I'm not going to let anyone stand in my way. And she flexes the power of the Lithoform core, uh, obliterates the elemental, turns the entire area to ash. And uh, kind of when, when the dust settles, Akiri looks over and Zareth is pale and gray and dead like stone. And Nahiri did a heckin' murder. Uh, there, there's a very subtle implication that she very intentionally killed Zareth along with the elemental. Yeah, she actually says to him at one point that she knows that Zareth wants the orb. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like it was a little bit of a, uh, you're standing in my way too. You're not any different from the lava monster. So then she just kills him. Nahiri might be the villain. I mean, there's really two sides here, right? No, no, <laughs> <laughs> no. We're we're not doing uh, Nahiri discourse. I hate Nahiri discourse. She she is the villain of the set. So she she drops the you know the the core falls onto the ground and uh, you know uh, Akiri grieves a little bit and then uh, 
Nahiri comes over and Akiri, you know, they they both go for the lithoform core, but Akiri's much more nimble and, and picks it up. And it's like, what the hell is this thing? We're getting rid of this. And she backs up to a cliff and uh, is going to drop it over a cliff. But while this is happening, Nahiri is silently raising a hedron behind her and then uh, zaps her with petrifying binding energy uh, and takes the lithoform core out of Akiri's hand as Akiri is uh, frozen there with a tear running down her face as she just gets pushed off a cliff and falls. So Akiri was going to drop the core off the cliff, but instead of that, the core was dropped off the cliff by Nahiri? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, so so this is where the trailer ended. This is also where the story ended, yeah. too. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a little disappointing, because I wanted some Jace. I wanted some Jace and Nyssa. I wanted them to, like, find Akiri. The the good news is there's plenty more Jace and Nyssa in the set. Just not in this story. This, this was the big Nahiri villain story. A lot of this story gets heightened by the fact that we have the trailer for it. At least for, for me, personally, as... As someone who's preferred medium for uh, engaging with art is is film. Uh, I'm, I'm my degrees in film studies. I love film, so the tra- the trailer really resonates me resonates with me as that kind of audiovisual medium where we can like literally see the facial expressions on the Hiri's face, the tone of her voice, the the chilling calmness when she just straight up murders these people um, for not a lot of good reasons. Like, doesn't even try to argue her way out of a situation. She just goes right to murder. Nahiri is callous at best. I don't have a good word for at worst. She's not a good person. (laughs) Yeah, she's kind of evil. But like... No, she's just evil. I can't really put another qualifier like, on. So that. she has she has good intentions in this set. She 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 really does want to <laughs> make Zendikar safer, but she doesn't take any time to understand what the ramifications of the path she chose are, which are all very bad ramifications. She also has like no qualms when she could obviously just incapacitate these two. Uh-huh. And, like, leave them to whatever fate they want and, like, go off on her own. Like, she obviously has the means to, but she just is spiteful. Well, yeah. spiteful towards Xerath and spiteful towards Akiri later for pretty much holding out the core. Um, I don't know. Xerath didn't deserve that. Xerath didn't even sign up for this, so. I mean, technically Xerath did sign up for it, but, like. Z- Xerath didn't <laughs> want to sign up for it. He was, yeah. Or doing it on Akiri's behalf, at least, but... Yeah, I feel awful for Zareth. Zareth was, like, one of my favorite characters to come out of this story. And I'm just really sad, because he's dead. And, like, dead dead. Like, there's no coming back from that. So it makes me very upset. The only actual gripe I have is having... I know you guys complained about Nissa and Nahiri being in the same story having akiri and nahiri be in the same story like i understand there's probably core naming conventions but it's a little bit of a tongue twister for some of us so yeah i had to be very cognizant of that when i was writing the summary to make sure i put the right one Uh, i have nearly tripped over that a couple times i think you have tripped over it and i think you tripped over it earlier in this episode and i just didn't say anything same i don't know i'm sorry (laughs) (laughs) but yes that's just I mean, they, that's something there's very little control over. Like, obviously, Akiri was an established character that they wanted to bring back specifically for expeditionary reasons. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I mean, I think Brian said it in an earlier um, episode summary, but, like, this is Nahiri's time to shine as a character. I don't think she generally had that much screen time in, like, Shadows Over Innistrad, Aldrich Moon, and when she does, it was, like, immediately in, um, I mean, it was that one story where she escaped, and then the rest of it existed in opposition to Soren, and so just being able to, like, oh, go ahead. 
Uh, I was going to say, uh, she mostly existed in the Shadow story in flashbacks. Uh, the, yeah. the, the only point where we really see her in the present is uh, when she traps Soren in a rock. And, and at that point, it's mostly just a fight scene where she is angry at Soren and traps him in a rock and then leaves. Yeah. I was thinking of the escape scene as like functionally very, very similar time frame. So yeah, that was my, <laughs> that was my uh, implied present. But like being able to have her not defined by Eldrazi shit and also not defined by having a feud over Eldrazi shit is kind of like it's actually giving some level of depth to her character that I don't think we get with a lot of other magic planeswalkers outside Mm -hmm. like especially with antagonists we have a difficulty of like we cannot show them outside of the specific situation you didn't have like a Tezzeret Tezzeret has his own shit going on story it was always like in relation to what he's he is what is he doing for Bolas or how did he get into the Bolas state that he is in and how is he going to escape Bolas they should have wrote a novel for Tezzeret like I think a really cool thing would be like a novel around Tezzeret's life and story yeah and just the the tests that he went through as a metallic man well, so um, but... <laughs> so they did write a story about Tezzeret on his own outside of Bolas. It's called uh, War of the Spark Forsaken. Oh no! <laughs> but it's it's weird because you never get to see like this is our first kind of clean slate theory. Mm-hmm. Not yeah. clean slate, obviously in the moral sense, <laughs> no. but clean slate in the character understanding of like this is who she was before. Like, ignoring all the Eldrazi and Ugin and Sora and stuff. And now she gets to, like, kind of come back to that. And, I mean, just how cold and ruthless she is um, in her quest to reestablish the Core Empire or the Makindi Empire. Uh, yeah, she is... It's fun to see villains evolve. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, It's, it's yeah, nice yeah. to see them outside of their familiar circumstance that we've kind of been... We've just been locked into for the past how many years or decade of magic story. It feels like a progression. So, yes. like, it's... Um, there are a lot of things about the set that um, don't ignore the things that came before. But, like, they're... Ignore's not the right. They're not, like, totally separated from the things that came before. But the things that came before very much have fed into the thing. Like... Like I broadly, I've talked a lot about the the way the cards in the set um, exist in a post Eldrazi world. Um, you know that was something we were very conscious of working on the set, um, and we see that. And and th- this is a Nahiri who is very much a, a post Shadows of Ernestrad and Eldritch Moon and War of the Spark Nahiri who is now doing another thing, which is impacted by the things she did before but not to the point where it's weighing down the story right you have to know about this prior thing you just know that she's doing the thing she's doing now right um but in in nahiri's case i think like it's helpful to know about the eldrazi but like i i'm curious if for the people whose first visit to zendikar is this set and and haven't read the, the other stories or, or know much about them. I'm curious what those people's reactions to these stories are, because, you know, one of the things is uh, about being the kind of orthos I am is that it's, it's hard to get out of my own head about what people know. Uh, and, you know, um, especially now that I'm doing contract stuff, so like I get deeper into Nahiri as a character than most people on the planet will. Uh, and it's hard to pull back from that sometimes. But, like, the the Nahiri's goals, the way she operates in the set, is all predicated on her actions sealing the Eldrazi, her actions um, seeing Zendikar the way it was when she escaped the Hell Vault. But it is not those things. And, and I think... Um, the, the last thing I'll say about this is is the thing that makes this really feel like a progression for her is that uh, her her mission in this set, uh, 
is vastly different than the things she's done in Last Sense. Um, in Shadows of Innistrad, where she is the villain, uh, she is acting selfishly and destructively in a very petty manner. In this set, she's trying to do something constructive. Um, she's doing it in a way that hurts a lot of other things uh, that is uh, accidentally destructive, but she's trying to do something constructive and positive, which yeah. is very different than what she's done before. You know, this isn't uh, Tezzeret showing up again to do another errand for Bolas in yet another set. This isn't Bolas showing up again to manipulate stuff in yet another set. This isn't Obnixilis showing up again to cause him. You know, I, I say that, but I did enjoy the way Ob was worked into the War of the Spark, the first uh, novel, where, yeah. hey, Ob, yeah. Ob actually gets to be an anti-hero, which I think is brilliant. He's just killing birds. That's all he's there for. But uh, <laughs> No, the bird the bird killing thing, which isn't in the novel, is the bird killing thing I don't understand. I think that's out of character for him. But I, I really liked uh, the way he was used structurally. And, and, uh, point, point is, I... I agree that it, that this really feels like a growth and evolution of a character especially a villain which we magic has not historically done a lot of i i kind of push back against the idea of nahiri is doing something constructive here i think nahiri believes that what she is doing is uh i i think the word constructive is maybe giving a little bit too much weight to her actions i think that what she's doing is trying to be reductive in the sense of she wants to return things to how they were before. And part of that includes not just actually factually changing Zendikar to how it was during the McKinney Empire, but also changing her position on Zendikar to how it was then and changing her power to how it was then. So while she is being constructive, like she's doing things to make a change, uh, what she is doing is trying to return things to how they were before. And because of that, I... I kind of look at her and think to myself, like, this is very different from her other stories that we've had her in, true, but I don't think this is like a her doing something that is going to be constructive and end with a end result that'll be like, I've made this thing. It's a, I am fixing this thing that I think is wrong. When I say constructive, so in Shadows of Innistrad, her primary goal was to inflict damage on a thing yeah. in this set her primary goal is to relieve damage to a thing what happens because of the way the technology works and the way her she takes actions is that she does a lot of damage uh un, un uh unintentionally but um that that shift in viewpoint internally for her um is is the like the key growth dynamic here um, but, uh, we have another story to talk about. I will, I will give my very last thought. Yes. Nahiri in Zendikar Rising story is a better example of an old walker's aspirations than Nicobolas's entire War of the Spark and predicating arc. Like, I think this is the horrifying lengths that an old walker will go to in order to do something that they want like at a much greater like just a better example of that than Nicol Wallace's like obscure desire for power that everybody kind of identifies with in like a very vague sense this is just something where it's like single-minded goal need to restore this empire need to undo the damage that was done to Zendikar or what I perceive to be damage to Zendikar and I'm going to do anything that I need to to get to there I agree, yeah. but also with the caveat that Nicol Bolas is a dragon, so everything he did was with a lot of dragon <laughs> flair to it. They are different kinds of... I uh, think the Hiri just echoes the horrifying old walker that yeah. like, everybody Oh, absolutely. About. So there's... How... how... Hmm. Uh, Let's not dive into it, because I think it's going to be a good for like the end cap of the series itself. That's fair. I, I would say it's, Nahiri's more ground. Nahiri's story is more grounded and personal and emotionally charged. Nicobolus is loftier and more extravagant and removed from uh, a real sense of experience for for readers. Like, yeah, like it is easier to relate to. Hey, my home is broken and I want to fix it. Than it is to relate to. Hey, 
we were gods once. Um, <laughs> no. Uh, and I will say that there is more... There is actual horror in the way Nahiri behaves, not in the way Nicobolus behaves. Uh, there is fantasy in Nicobolus's behavior. The dissonance between uh, her words and her action and, and her tone for Nahiri is uh, literally horrific in, yeah. in the way that uh, <laughs> in the way that pre-mending planeswalkers were cosmic horrors in in their own way yeah nicobolus is terrifying nahiri is horrifying i'll agree with that nicobolus inspires terror nahiri inspires horror it's a little just a little different there yeah we'll leave that at that and go to another story um this one is titled beneath river root tree this is our uh third side story the uh you know we had we had the first two that followed akiri and zareth and and this one uh takes us uh back in time uh six thousand years at least uh because this is the story about obun before he was a spirit and leader of the moldaya and was just some rando elf uh who who existed with flesh and blood and maybe a spleen i don't know if elves have spleens on zendikar but uh, potentially uh, this is a story by A.Z. Louise, uh, who is a fiction writer who's gotten a bunch of short stories published in, in a bunch of various locations. So this is uh, an, another another person that was hired in that kind of wave of like, hey, we want people to write side stories and, and main stories and all these fiction things. So uh, we're getting a lot more of those. Yeah, Beneath River Root Tree. So we're on, we're on Ancient Zendikar. And uh, we learned that Obun grew up in the Moldaya city uh, in in River Root Tree. And then he stayed with his uncle up in the Balagad Skyclave. And so um, this story really frames the McKinney Empire as like colonial oppressors. There's um, a lot of discussion between Obun and this other elf, uh, Nazan. I, I kind of read them as an elder in the community, uh, someone someone with some respect and sway. But, uh, you know, they have discussions about where Nazan is like, hey, yeah, great, you're back, but, like, you don't really get us anymore because... The core are really good at erasing people's culture and replacing it with their own. And, you know, you, you there's there's a good visual description where uh, Obun has Skyclave armor that is, uh, you know, jagged and angular in, you know, that square pattern that it is. Uh, and it's sitting on a vine-entwined display in his treehouse uh, where it just, like, is completely dissonant with the sylvan elegance around it. Um, and so Obun is trying to get, you know, it's river root tree. Obun is trying to get back to his roots. Uh, so so they are Moldaya elves. They are the elves that uh, have a lot of ancestor worship. They live and dwell with the spirits of their ancestors, commune with them, talk to them, take guidance from them. Obun can't sense any of that, though. And he is excluded from that. There is a group called the Break Guard who go out and protect the city from the Surakar raids. If you don't remember them, they are those amphibious blue and black cave monster people things uh, that we haven't seen in an actual set since the original block. Which is a crime. I don't... I know there was a line in the art book about them. I don't remember if they survived the Eldrazi or not. There was a... Uh, I remember this vividly because I clung to any piece of Sorokar lore <laughs> that existed. <laughs> it was a interview with James Wyatt. Like, a promo for the art book. Like, one of their shot-in-house uh, promo videos. Uh -huh. And I believe Kelly asked him about the... Surakar, if they were still around. I don't know how to pronounce it, really. Um, and I don't think he committed to an answer in that. Or maybe it was uh, it was either that or the Gomazoa 
as well. Well, the Gawazala are still there. There is at least one in art in this set. There you go. So, hopefully they're still around. I like them. They had one story appearance before this, and that was uh, Battle of Fort Cuff quite a while ago. Original Zendikar block before they actually had established web fiction. On on the uh, the Uncharted Realms story or the webcomic? Oh, this was, no, this was a pre-Uncharted Realms comic, but, or uh, a pre-Uncharted Realms story, but hosted on the website. When they occasionally posted stories under Save the Flavor title? Exactly, and I believe it was by Jenna Helland and Gideon Jura Talks to One. Um, nice. Has a pretty intelligent conversation, and it's the one that actually warns him about Emrakul approaching. Yeah, the the Sorokar are, like, the best way to describe them, I think, is they, they are... They are amphibious, but they're basically, you know, Hollywood cave people. They're so cool, though. Like, I wish I wish these things were more intelligent than they are. <laughs> <laughs> and also were, like, full humanoid races. F- find, find, Carrie, find Carrie wandering around Zendikar trying to find the last Surikars. So they can poke yeah. it in the set head and say, hey, evolve bigger brains, please. Yeah, just get smarter. <laughs> I, th- I think they were just... Dis- they were described in the original Planeswalker guide as, like, um, on the border of whatever sapience, sentience, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, so I don't think they had, they kind of landed on where exactly they were, if they were humanoid or more beast, so. Well, they use weapons, which is tool use, so they are. Exactly. But like, like I said, they, they kind of feel like Hollywood cavemen. Yeah, I like them so much. Just put them on another plane. Don't explain it. Just put them on another plane and keep them. I mean, there there are the Amphin on uh, on Chandelar, and the Amphin on Chandelar are pretty similar to the Surikar in appearance. So yeah, I'll take what I can get. Anyway, uh, if you like Surikar, I'm sorry about what's going to happen next in the story. <laughs> uh, the Break Guard is is going out, and Obun uh, follows them, and you know he. Uh, this is the Goom Wilds, one of one of the most um, pristine jungles in Zendikar. Even in a, in a world that is very has very little habitation, it is like the most uninhabited part of the plane. Uh, and uh, Obun lost his parents to something in the wilds, uh, and uh, the he follows the break guard and and kind of gets lost. And finds himself outside a cave. And then finds himself chased by a Surikar. <laughs> and so so much of the story consists of a series of encounters between Obun and a Surikar. Uh, where, where he's knife fighting and barely surviving and is getting wounded and is holding on to dear life. And uh, he's, he's just wishing he had some kind of connection to his family. Uh, and then he he does at some point stumble into a skeleton with a sword, and then he picks up the sword and, uh, hey, look at that! It's his mom's skeleton and his mom's sword, and uh, for the first time in his life, he is able to sense her spirit, and they chat a little bit. He has some visions, and then gets attacked by a Surikar again. It's not a good time to be having visions, honestly. Yeah, not not really. But uh, he he ends up being chased into an entire chamber full of bones, where uh, you know this this death pit where the Sorokar have killed dozens of his people at least. And uh, there's there's kind of kind of the finale of this fight involves climbing up this waterfall and like yeeting the Surikar over the edge and uh and and uh got the royal races them up on like a huge spire at some point uh it's it's a story where the action has the verticality of Zendikar which I think is really cool um and Obun escapes somehow with his life uh you know by by the graces of of being able to connect with uh his his mother's spirit and so he he finds like a back entrance to the cave that is actually not that far from the river root tree 
And so he brings the other Moldaya elves and they recover the skeletons and they have a whole ritual where they have, uh, they burn the remains in a funeral pyre to release their ancestral spirits so they can dwell with them. And he helps, uh, you know, he, his like raw stubbornness and determination to, to get back to his roots ends up helping his community recover a whole bunch of bodies and, and get a whole bunch of their dead reintegrated into the spiritual I'm I'm thinking of just like a little animal crossing village but everyone's ghosts and they're just like haha more villagers but I, I was thinking more of the end of return of the jedi where it's just sure, all the ghosts show yeah. up um that's probably more reasonable uh and and so they uh you know he ends up getting uh, a bunch of uh these spirits back and like he he gets to be part of the community again and this is uh you know again six thousand years ago but uh you know obun has a commander card and it's him as a spirit he, he is the dominant spirit in the ancestor um communication and he still functions as like the the most powerful word in the moldaya culture and so it, it's neat to see this, like, the very first baby step to how that could have happened and know where it ends up and not have any of the middle. And uh, I, I, I like that kind of gap. Uh, but yeah, this is just like a small little story about a, a dude who grew up with a colonizer society and uh, got to go back and discover some of his own native culture. Yeah, I, I really appreciate this story. I thought it was very good. Um I think that it is kind of hard to summarize it because of the fact that a lot of what makes this story impactful is in these like little tiny moments and these little tiny things that are happening during it that are really hard to like hit when you're just going through a story summary. So I just encourage everyone to read it. Um, one thing I want to point out that I thought was particularly effective or resonant for me was the way that Obun kind of slowly over the course of the story is shedding the core from him until the end event where he's practically naked uh, and he's literally cast off all of the Skyclave from him. Uh, there's a moment right before he leaves to go hunt down the Surakar where he mentions the uh, waking up and putting on the core face makeup and wiping it off because he realizes he put it on by habit that morning and he, he doesn't have to do that anymore. He doesn't have to just put on this makeup every day because that's not that's not part of who he is. It's part of where he came from, but not necessarily who he is. Uh, and then he like takes off his armor. He loses his weapon. He loses his shoes until eventually he is barefoot and bare chested and absolutely just looking kind of hot. Like, let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Obun is one of those characters that like, like Omnath, outstanding. Uh, introduced in the original planeswalker's guide <laughs> never touched since and like didn't get more than um a passing mention in pretty much any piece of text including like art books and such i'm just happy to see like this story so excellently delivered on like a legendary character especially considering the commander deck inclusion um yeah i just like i just like lore legends have finally kind of having a place in mm -hmm. uh in the actual fiction itself beyond just being mentioned as like here is them here is a two paragraph summary go off with that for 10 years because yeah. it's been quite a while since he was mentioned last well and like there's a difference between a legend showing up in the main set story like mostly just getting name dropped and being a side character versus a story like this where they are able to separate it from the main story and just tell an Obun story yeah, uh, and make it a very personal and small and intimate story about the character where we really get to know the character. And, you know, that, that can't happen when you're doing Gatewatch stuff all the time. You know, this is kind of uh, one of the criticisms of, of the last couple of years of story is that, um, a lot of the narrative focuses on the Gatewatch and the legends in the set didn't get to shine enough. And uh, I think one of the things Zendikar Rising stories have done so far is like, like 
Akiri and Zareth feel like fully realized characters that are part of the narrative, but are also their own thing. The story makes Obun feel like a fully realized character. Uh, next week, we're going to talk about the Anawan story. Anawan has had plenty of story content. Um, <laughs> There's a whole novel. None of it nearly as deep as <laughs> next week's. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll save a lot of the shade for in the teeth of a coom for next week but you know next week we're gonna get a really i really liked the anawan story this is getting a little ahead of myself but like uh, i'm very excited to talk talk about that next week but um, i'm gonna admit right now that i read the stories uh as we do the podcast so i actually haven't read anawan's story i'm reading them as we podcast so that i can like have it fresh and and new in my mind that's fair yeah because it it's I've, i've read up to date and currently had to read backwards in order to <laughs> prepare for this episode. Yeah, I I just appreciate like I I appreciate these side stories especially just cuz they give that kind of dedicated time. Mm-hmm. Not that we didn't necessarily have that. We got like Get Rog's story, we got Odric's story. Yeah, we got especially especially in BFC and SOI, we got a couple stories like that. It's um, just difficult to pull away from the main conflict especially as they were kind of ramping up in Amonkhet, yeah. Ixalan, Dominaria. Like, you had better... You had more important stuff that people were following very, very closely. Right. So. I like this model a lot, and I believe they hinted at today in the Weekly Magic that this model might be how they go forward for at least a little while, with the main story and side story kind of two-story-a-week uh, situation. And I think that is a great way to do it um especially because we get excellent little stories like this one which are by you know other authors and we get to see other writing styles and other stories uh at the same time and i think that's really cool i'm biting my tongue so hard because i have so much to say about the current approach but i know it's gonna be a full (laughs) episode at the end of this (laughs) well we're about to transition to final thoughts so (laughs) if you want your final thought to be about 30 minutes (laughs) Uh, as the person who has to edit this episode please don't make a 30 minute final thought Uh, um but yeah uh i don't i I think to to polish off this part of the conversation uh you know a lot of us had really good reactions to the nikki drayden ravnica stories uh, as those smaller intimate plane bound stories this model of two stories a week with main set stories and then side stories feels like we kind of get both things pretty reasonably well. Um, and I feel like if you're reading these stories so far, you get a lot of planeswalkers, you get a lot of the main narrative, you get a lot of uh, world building in the side stories, you get a lot of uh, side characters getting to be full characters in the side stories. I don't have fully formed thoughts on this model yet, but I'm liking it so far. And that's where I'm going to leave that off. Uh, So final thoughts. My final thought for this week is uh, I I got a haircut recently. So uh, I, I now have an undercut and it's pretty good. I want more hair off, though, I think. Uh, not to be one of those queers, but, uh, gosh, I know so many people who have shaved part of their head during quarantine, but, uh, uh, it's sweet. Like, also, shout out to the haircut place for taking extreme precautions during this pandemic. One customer at a time, every, nobody, only one person in you know, like in the actual building, uh, one customer, uh, mask the whole time. They have hand sanitizer. They do a temperature check. Uh, they do all kind of stuff. It was really great. Made that functional in in these COVID times while uh, also letting me look a hell of a lot gayer. So I appreciate that. I uh, I might be shaving my head sometime soon too. So uh, I'll be joining you by having less hair. But that's because I'm worried I'm balding because I turned 29 this last month and I'm getting close to middle age. Anyways, my final thought is not going to be about that. It's going to be about uh, the League of Legends World Championship. The Worlds is going on right now. And it's really exciting because this is the first time I've ever kind of like tuned in and gotten 
into an esport. Uh, if you don't count magic as an esport, which is a whole other conversation. Um, and I'm really into it. League of Legends has some really great production quality. Uh, the team I am super excited for is from the LEC. It's Rogue, which I don't think they're going to get out of groups, but you can flame me on Twitter if you think my appreciation of Rogue is is wild. But I think they're a cool, uh, cool team. So they uh, they sell little pride stickers on their website. So I've got like a little buy pride sticker coming in the mail. Very excited about that. My final thought, I'm going to expand on whether Magic's an eSport or not. <laughs> At the core of it. No. Uh, wear a damn mask. That's all. If you have also been uh, enjoying the new story models and you want to talk to other Vorthoses about it and you want to help support the show so we can keep talking about it, you can head over to patreon.com slash the Vorthos cast where Vorthoses from around the world are coming together on our Discord server, which everyone gets access to. And... Uh, <laughs> I, I guess we're bookending with dragging this whole discussion about the Walking Dead things. There have been oh, some no. discussions, but uh, we we are also uh, you know uh, we got the last bit of story uh, for Zendikar Rising this past week. Uh, we are very soon heading into Commander Legends preview season. That's in two weeks, so there is no better time for you to uh, get involved with our little group of folks we got uh, a wonderful community with a lot of wonderful people and we would love to see more people uh joining in and participating and playing among us so we can play with full 10 player rosters here is my unsolicited commitment to all of you when this episode goes up on twitter we will quote tweet with the episode where we had gavin on question mark it was somebody who did uh yes or no answers for yeah that was with legends um Mm -hmm. we should quote tweet that very very soon just so that we can um let people listen to that let people listen to some of the answers and uh get excited for some of the possibilities because as far as i know we're the only podcast that did that i don't believe i was on that episode either um but yeah it's gonna be especially uh it's going to be especially interesting in lights of commander legends previews so yeah you know in uh just kind of looking back on that we really shouldn't have been that surprised this week because when we asked gavin if rick grimes would be in magic uh set soon he said that was a win not an if yeah i, I hate you chris uh, <laughs> th- thank you all for listening this has been the fourth cast <laughs>